What's up, everybody? Welcome to the What's Up Finance Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up with the market, the economy, and any other worthwhile topics and discussions. My name is Matthew Campbell, and joining me is my partner, Camden Elkanati. Today, we are happy to welcome our guest, Don Tran. Don is a veteran, a small business owner, and he's working towards his MBA at USC. Don, we want to thank you for your service and for joining us today. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. First, we'll give a quick briefer on what happened in the markets last week, and then we'll jump into our conversation with our special guest, Don Tran. This week in the markets, we saw tech earning reports in the beginning of the week, which uh, jumped the market up 2 to 3%. And then closer to the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, we saw closing bell turn red. And this was due to the Federal Reserve funding mirage and tech mirage disappearing. And what this means is the Federal Reserve funding has given investors hope and uh, optimism to the U.S. returning back to its strong point of early 2019 to mid-2019. And with these strong points, we see the economy rebounding and the stock market rebounding. But this is a mirage because right now, economic data isn't as hot as it seems. Manufacturing data is dropping. The service industry seems like it's disappearing. And people are still not going back to work. Matthew talked about how there's a bioscience company, ticker GILD, that's in the works of creating a drug called Remdesivir. And this is an experimental drug that was first used to treat Ebola, but the FDA is speeding this process of getting this drug on the streets and into people's hands. And with this drug in play, there is hope that we can be able to go back to eating out in restaurants and going to the park and going to the beach. But right now, I'm taking a cautionary view of how our economy is right now and our stock market should be going back to being correlated with the economy, which means that we may see some downturns in the near future. Now on to our conversation with Don. Hi, Don. Before we start, can you give us a quick introduction of yourself? And then we'll be answering and discussing questions that you have for us. And we're going to be also asking you questions about your life and experience. Sure, guys. Yeah, so uh, my name is Don Tran, and I was uh, born and raised in Long Beach, California, so just south of LA uh, area. Um, and then right after high school, I joined uh, the Marine Corps uh, at 17. Um, I served 12 years uh, active duty and then a year in the reserves. I did four years in the infantry, and then uh, I spent eight years in Marine Special Operations Command uh, as a Marine Raider. Uh, I got out in 2018, and that's when I uh, started going to Chapman, where I met Camden. Um, in my first class, it was a communications class um, for the business program there. Uh, followed that, we had, I think, a finance class together, and uh, we went to on an international business class trip to Vietnam together where we met um, some amazing people, some amazing uh, entrepreneurs over there from expats from other countries in the United States. Had some wild times, but uh, it was extremely educational and powerful for me, so um, happy to be on the show, and thanks for having me, Camden and Matthew, and uh, excited uh, to get into the conversation with you guys. So um, I also started biz two businesses when I got out of the military. One of them is called uh, the Underwater Torpedo League, 
and the other one is deep in fitness. So they kind of coincide and work with each other really well. But to tell you a little bit more about it, the Underwater Computer League uh, is like a underwater sport game that my business partner Prime Hall and I created when we were in the military together um, in 2010 as we were working as water survival instructors. Uh, we were getting ready to go to Marine Special Operations where they do a lot of amphibious uh, training, a lot of uh, underwater stuff, dive school and stuff like that. So that's how we kind of came up with the concept. We were just looking for a way to train ourselves to be better than the way that the military was already training us. So in most like military environments, there's like a lot of yelling, screaming and stressful environments. And we noticed like, hey, although that does the trick and that either forces you to sink or swim, um, it, was, it wasn't the best way. So kind of came about a, a way of teaching people how to be calm, uh, controlling their emotions, especially in stressful situations. So uh, we incorporated a lot of breathing techniques, a lot of on-demand relaxation. So how can you think about something to calm yourself during a stressful situation? So whether that's in combat, whether it's before you go into a meeting or do a public speaking thing, um, just kind of calm you, calm you down a lot. So that's kind of what we're about. Um, you guys should check into it and hopefully – Camden and Matt will talk about some more questions about that and we can get in, a little into that a little bit more. Awesome. Just to highlight on a couple of things you said, um, you definitely made my Vietnam trip very memorable because uh, you're my roommate. We traveled together and I think uh, I had the funniest, coolest guy on the trip being my roommate. So thank you for that. You're welcome, brother. And uh, to go back into what you're saying about your company, you saw a problem that people were uncomfortable with uh, doing water activities, aerobic activities in uh, the water. And I do see this. Matthew and I spent many years in the Boy Scouts. And every year, you would take a uh, camping trip or uh, some type of uh, weekend trip to uh, a lake or to uh, Catalina, somewhere that involved water sports. And before we were able to get into the water, we were supposed to do a swimming test. And I dreaded these swimming tests so much because regardless of how cold the water was, they expect you to jump in and swim about in the water for about 25 to 30 minutes. But they did this because People actually fear the water. They fear drowning. They fear the cold. They fear sharks in the water. They fear other animals in the water. And uh, what you're doing with making people more comfortable in the water, as well as creating this great, hard fitness workout in the water, is a very unique idea. Yeah. Matthew, do you remember those trips? Boys yeah, I, I do. Absolutely. And I think that it would have been great to have had some more experience beforehand, have a gym where we could have done more workouts in the water and really have been like prepared for those trips to Catalina. Because sometimes it was like six in the morning and the water was freezing. And then we'd have to jump in. And like you said, swim sometimes like a quarter mile or half a mile um, and just spend a lot of time in the water. And like, we kind of got through it. You know, we always pass the test every year, but there was a lot of other kids in the scouts too who didn't or who wouldn't even go in the water. So definitely um, I can see how the value in these workouts, like how this can prepare people for that. And Don, actually, I want to ask you too, can you go over some more of the advantages uh, that your workouts and these programs have versus like traditional gyms or other programs that gyms offer? 
Yeah, of course, I would love to. So the number one thing is like we really focus on the mental aspect of it, right? So there's so many other different programs out there from uh, fitness that also tests like your mental capacity from just like reaching that limit every single day. So like CrossFit's a really great program for that or any physical workout program. But what we do is we take one of your um, major life sources away, which is breathing. So we go underwater and, hey, how do you remain calm? And actually use the efficient oxygen or the, your oxygen efficiently that you have already underwater. So uh, we keep it in a really controlled, safe environment. But once you bring someone underwater and take that life source away from them, you know, people actually have an, a natural anxiety to kind of stress out a little bit more. Like, hey, you know, like I want to come up for air for breathe, but you can understand like, hey, how much can I actually handle being underwater for a specific amount of time? How much work can I do? That directly translates over to like, hey. Uh, like a, we did an NFL program um, last year with um, six of the NFL players during their off season. So we kind of catered their workout programs from 19 to 24 seconds. Um, that's the average length of a play for an NFL play. So we're taking oxygen and breath away from them for the 19 to 24 seconds and making them do a specific amount of work. When it translates to on land, like, wow, I could do all that work when I don't have any oxygen. Now, what can I do on the field with oxygen um, and like practicing, you know, so that's kind of how we implicate that with us uh, to the kind of training program that we have now. We also train a lot of uh, MMA fighters um, on their programs, and we kind of utilize some of the techniques they do underwater uh, as same as the techniques they do in the octagon. So it really works well for them as well. So right now we're training Dominic Cruz, um, and they're set to have this quarantine kind of fight on May 9th, uh, coming up in five days. So it should be the first sporting event after this COVID lockdown that's happening. It's uh, going down in Florida. So check it out. Yeah, it'll be dope. Great. Well, thanks for going into that a little bit more. Um, sounds like specifically for like high performance training and these athletes, it can really help them, um, especially like the mental aspect of kind of those sports. So that's great. And for our listeners also, we're going to include the link to uh, Don's gyms in the podcast notes. I highly suggest you check them out because there's some videos and some pictures of some of these workouts and they're just insane. They just, it looks amazing. It looks super tough, but something like it looks like something you need to try. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. John, uh, for the average person like Matt and I, we aren't the most fit. Uh, we went through PE classes. I could probably run like a 7.30 mile time. Um, what what would you do with us? Uh, can you tell us and explain to us in detail how would the average person find you? And once they find you, what is the process of, of signing up and getting into the pool? All of that from A to Z. Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of people are checking us out now through just basic social media. So that's probably our number one uh, marketing revenue because we're targeting people from anywhere from the 18 to 40. So most people from 18 to 40 are on social media. So whether that's Instagram, TikTok um, has a huge algorithm right now that gets you a lot of exposure. Uh, Facebook is kind of dying down for us right now. But um, of course, Facebook owns Instagram. So running paid ads or things like that has been super successful for us, um, especially targeting the areas that we want to go to. And you can change the demographics on there that you want. So after they find us on these social medias, um, we have classes that run um, yearly uh, yearly and round or year round, especially in Southern California, because the the air and stuff like that is pretty warm compared to the rest of the United States. So, um, especially um, after this COVID thing, so we're gonna pick back up. But uh, we have classes from 
Orange County, or I'm sorry, LA all the way down to San Diego with like seven different pools in the areas. So they just pretty much come and check out our website, check out when we have classes going on and they come out to a session. So what a session looks like for a regular person when we come out. So we always start the session with what we call a circle of trust, where we kind of break down like, hey, who, who you are, what your expectations for the day, and if you have any injuries or anything we should know about. But at the circle of trust, it's pretty cool because it's like the first time you're like half naked pretty much because you're about to jump in the pool and kind of telling you, the people around you, like, hey, what am I going to do today? Like, hey, this is what my goal is for today. And then everyone in there kind of helps you get to that goal and reach that goal. So it's kind of cool. But after that, we run a quick screener where we make sure that people can run and train at the type of capacity that we want them to. So um, if you don't know how to do the screener, and we can go over that in a second, but uh, we'll get you there. So we have a whole bunch of instructors, always two to three instructors at each session to kind of help you out with that process. So the screen is kind of easy for some people, but it's a little bit more difficult for others. So it's swimming 25 meters underwater um, and then doing a 10 minute water tread. So we'll teach you guys how to remain as calm as possible, be efficient with your movement as possible and maximizing um, using your lungs as oxygen and as a flotation device if you need. After that, we carry a 10 pound brick um, across the water, just keep it out of the water for 25 meters. And then we go down and do a mass retrieval with no hands. So we take your goggles and we put them down at the bottom of the pool, uh, bottom of the deep end, and then you go down and you pick it up with your with a mouth. Yeah. It kind of makes people uncomfortable. So really just teaching people how to stay calm um, as much as possible. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the process. And after that, we'll go into the workout. Um, for um, the people that are participating in the Unawari Torpedo League as well, then we'll go into some drills and then we'll run some scrimmages with the games and stuff like that. So. That's kind of goes the basic flow. Oh, and then at the end, we'll do a circle of trust again, kind of seeing, hey, did you reach your goals? Okay, how can we improve next time? And then what are the steps you can work out during the week uh, if you don't show up until the next weekend session to, to make you reach that goals a little bit faster and better? Amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Now, you just mentioned the uh, Torpedo League. Can you explain uh, to the audience what that is? Uh, to me, it sounds like uh, some type of game. Yeah, so for sure. So what we do is we take two little kids' hockey games or hockey goals, and we put them down at the deep end of the pool. We typically like to play anywhere from 11 to 15 feet deep, um, and that depends on the pools that we're actually training at. So uh, most high schools that have a dive team or co city colleges that have a dive team have deep pools down to that level, um, around to like, 13, 14 feet deep, just because it's a regulation that they have that kind of depth when you use a diving board. So those are the kind of schools and um, pools that we kind of target to rent from. So we just rent the pool space from them. So after that, we get two teams to play against each other. So it's five on five in the pool at one time. And we move the torpedo and we try to put them into the goals. So you can throw it in there because it has actually glides and has a hydrodynamic effect where it can actually glide through the water up to like 20 feet. Um, or you could put it in there um, and you can grapple each other and you can only move the torpedo while uh, you're underwater. So if you need to come up for air, you need to pass it to one of your friends or just let go of it. Um, and you can't grab anybody that has the torpedo. So we keep it as safe as possible. Uh, we have in-water safety. And then, of course, all the athletes have to be able to um, perform that screener before they can play. So we can know that they can manage themselves when they're playing the game underwater. So it was developed by uh, me and my partner. But there's always been a different version of it in the military. So a lot of Navy SEALs play it, um, Navy divers, Marine Corps recon guys, and the Marine Raiders like us. So that's how we kind of get started the game. Um, but yeah, it's pretty fun. You guys should check us out. We actually just got um, 
um, showed on SportsCenter on ESPN. So that was pretty cool. It got us a lot of feedback and a lot of uh, exposure. That was pretty cool. Yeah, wow, that, that's really cool. And that, that just sounds awesome. It sounds like nothing else, definitely nothing else I've ever played for sure. I'm really curious, Don, how long can you hold your breath underwater? Um, if I'm not doing any work, uh, probably two and a half minutes-ish to three minutes. Wow. Yeah, but of course, if you're doing a lot of work, you're burning up that oxygen bank that you have. Um, so it just depends on the yeah. work that you do as well. Yeah, wow, that's, re- that's really impressive. Um, so thank you for going over kind of the background of what you do at your gyms and in your league. Would you mind going into more detail about how you started the business, um, kind of how you went through the process of like turning like your idea from when you're in the Marines into a reality? Yeah, for sure, brother. So um, end of 2017, I was like, hey, I'm getting out of the military soon. I got to figure out what I want to do. So of course, school is an option. So I began to go to Chapman. But um, besides that, you know, being in the military, you have a lot of bosses. Uh, you have a lot of um, commanders and people ahead of you that that you don't typically want to work for. So I was like, man, I really don't want to work for anybody anymore. I kind of want to make my own decisions. Um, so that's why I was like, hey, I want to start something on my own. So that's how I kind of came about. Like, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to figure it out and kind of build them. And like one of my biggest things that I like to see is to watch something grow, right? Whether that's um, your physical fitness when you're working out or whether it's a business that you're going or even your education um, level that you're going to uh, and moving forward in life. So we were like, hey, what do we like both to do with me and my business partner? We're like, hey, we like to play this underwater uh, football game is what we called it at the time before we actually trademarked it. Um, but it was called Underwater Football. We changed it over to Underwater Torpedo League. So went over and applied for our, our LLCs. So one for Deep End Fitness and then one for the Underwater Torpedo League. Um, and that's how it kind of started in November 2017. So moving forward, before we were bringing any revenue, like, hey, we need a little bit of investment and a little bit of money to get kind of started. So my business partner and I put a little bit of the money that we had savings from the military into to kind of get our started in the fund. And we were lucky enough to have that last for about um, six to eight months before we actually went out and like, hey, we need a little bit more funding. How do we do this? So the first thing we did, um, being veterans, you have a lot of like the SBA um, loan approval where you pretty much get approved for a specific amount for pretty easily um, because you're a veteran. So there's a lot of benefits in that aspect. So we took out a small loan um, and kind of ran with that loan until, um, so I, I guess we'll talk about the finance side of it first and then we can go into a little bit later if that's good with you guys, but okay, cool. So then, um, yeah, so up until like December of last year, we were running on the SBA loan alone. Um, we were making starting revenues after like four months into the project and the program, but um, not that much. So um, up until that point, we ran off the SBA loan um, and then we started getting, figuring out like, hey, we're going to need some little bit more money. So we explored different financing options. So I went to this financial entrepreneurship class at Chapman where like, hey, what are the best choices, right? So you can either go the VC route, you can go raise your own family and friends round, you can find some angel investors. So we kind of did a combination of angel investors and a family and friends round um, that we opened in um, March 1st, pretty much. So today's May 4th, but of course the COVID thing kind of happened. So that kind of fell out. Uh, So we got a little bit of money from our family and friends and a few angel investors, but it wasn't enough to where we were raising. So we were trying to raise $300,000 at the time using a convertible promissory note for the family and friends round. Um, And I'm, 
for the listeners that don't know what it is, it's uh, pretty much the money that you're borrowing from your family or friends acts as debt until a certain specific point. Uh, from that point, hey, if you raise a million dollars, say that's the quota that you need to hit, raise a million dollars in your seat or your uh, round A in the future, then that would turn into equity at a discounted rate um, for your family and friends around that invested. So that's what we kind of did with the angel investors. But of course, the COVID thing happened and then the market took a big, big dip. So after that, we're like, hey, everyone's like, hey, I don't really want to invest my money right now. You know, this is kind of too risky for me at the moment. So we started exploring different other, other options. So we looked into crowdfunding a little bit uh, with Kickstarter, Indiegogo, but that platform was, wasn't really uh, happening for us. So we explored this company called Republic, uh, which was pretty cool. We didn't get approved for it. So learning lesson there, but they wanted to see a little bit more traction. But where Republic is different from Indiegogo and Kick, Kickstarter is that they actually use a convertible promissory note as well. So anybody can invest from hundred or $100 to $100,000, um, whether you're accredited investors or just any investor out there. So that was kind of cool. We didn't get approved for the process, but uh, they wanted to see a little bit more traction in the revenue model that we have moving forward. So now we're switching over and looking into um, a VC firm that we're working with in uh, Arizona. It's called Black Dog Ventures. So they're helping us out with the process right now. We started with them two weeks ago. Uh, and we're actually pitching to some investors today right after this um, podcast. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, so that's the financial route of the company that we're going so far. Um, so we're looking forward to using that money to expand, not just in the Southern California area, but to a specific key cities around the United States. We're already into Miami, so we have our first licensing person. So I guess the business model works similar to a CrossFit affiliate model where we have this brand, we have these programs, and when people want to come and try these programs in a different state or a different area of the United States or even um, part of the world, they come to us like, hey, I want to start this program here. Um, they come out, they do an instructor course with us, um, and they kind of get certified, and then they take their certificate, and then they go to the pool, and they find a pool that they want to rent, or if they have their own pool, um, and they pay us an annual licensing fee uh, to run our programs and uh, use the name pretty much. So. Um, that's the expansion kind of model um, that we have. But other than that, our other revenues come from our online programs, uh, the registrations that we have here in Southern California, uh, a little bit from merchandise. Um, and then we're also creating a whole bunch of other things for uh, like a mindset workbook we're working on right now to uh, some workout equipment that we're also producing um, in the near future. So that's kind of the, the business model that's breaking down too. Now, you said that you have a pitch to some investors after our podcast. Can you give us a little intro about what the pitch is going to be on and maybe even go through your pitch, maybe a shortened version of your pitch with us so we could give some feedback to you and maybe we could hear and, and our listeners can hear what you're trying to pitch? Because this is very interesting. What most of um, us are experienced in and what most of our listeners are experienced in are in public investments where everything is disclosed on the public market to the SEC and all information is available to us. Whereas if you're not accredited investor, you can't invest in private startups or private companies. So maybe this is a cool introduction to uh, the other side of the investment world in private investments. Yeah, I would love to, brother. So um, pretty much when you're at a new company like this, uh, so we're about like two and a half years uh, into the company right now. So 
whether you're revenue producing or you're still a business concept or a business idea, right? So you can still both pitch um, to VCs, angel investors, pretty much to anybody. So as long as there's kind of like a an audience for it, right? It's all free game. So whatever you want to do. So our strategy going into this right now, since we're a low revenue producing company right now, and we're not making any profits yet, is to sell the idea about uh, the idea and um, us, the entrepreneurs that are trying to go into it. So pretty much going into our background of how we met each other, right? Back in 2010, uh, water survival instructors going to special operations, going deployments together using these training methods that we've kind of established to train our team members and become more mission ready. So kind of taking that concept and how we can apply it to the civilians out here. So our biggest kind of like punchline or whatever you want to call it is remaining calm in the clutch is what we're kind of going for, right? So every single athlete out there from business or athletes, professional athletes to business owners to um, people in school, everybody wants to be able to remain calm under pressure. So that's the kind of avenue that we're taking it, right? Identifying a gap in the market. Hey, all these pools that we're renting are losing money after the first year they open. So, hey, that's a gap that we can identify. And also people are looking for, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the recent years, a lot of like these um, boutique fitness kind of style has been more popular than the global gyms. Like, hey, going to 24-hour fitness or going to LA Fitness, right? CrossFit's out there, yoga, to all these different types of new training methods, even boxing gyms, um, pretty much local gyms are blowing up more, especially in the Southern California, New York, Miami, and Seattle, Portland area-ish. So all the major cities um, on the West and the East Coast have been catering more towards these boutique fitness and going from there. So we're just challenging ourselves to explore the options and let our investors know that, hey, following this trend kind of thing, that we're offering a program that offers a physical fitness, low impact, kind of uh, increasing your VO2 max, which is like how efficiently your body handles the oxygen levels uh, while you're working out to really hitting this mindset side and mindfulness and mindset and mental health is a huge issue nowadays. So we're really targeting that and letting our investors know that, hey, this is something new, something innovative that's not going to just be here as like a trend, but as huge benefits for people in the long run as well. And of course, it's going to keep them coming back. So hit about the benefits and then kind of our business cycle and how we bring customers in, right? Because at the end of the day, the investors just wants to know how you're going to bring the money in and how profitable is this going to be for them? Like, that's pretty much it. So we break down for us, uh, our virtuous cycle is what we call it. So pretty much, hey, getting all these professional athletes to train with us from um, PR exposures, um, like we were talking about Dominic Cruz, training him, kind of using his story, um, and how we training him and having him fight, especially during this time, the, the first sporting event to getting on to ESPN um, and all these PR things and kind of blowing up our name is the biggest thing. So that's why we train all those professional athletes first. That will in turn drive into the pool locations of, hey, while these professional athletes are training with us, hey, let's bring them into the pool. And I want to do the, kind of the same program or mid-level athletes as well from trying to get to the professional realm and that are looking for something different that will bring their um, athletic level a level higher so of course they could be more competitive that in turn fills up our pools locations and our classes and that will give us a bigger opportunity to license out the name and expand to these other key cities um, throughout the United States and uh, we're working on Australia and city right now with some of uh, my friends I have out there so going into our virtuous cycle and how we do that diving into our business network and who we're working with right now 
and how that has leverage, right? So we're working with Sony right now. Um, they pretty much funded us with $100,000 of camera equipment that we can use underwater, kind of testing their underwater capabilities, um, things moving forward, and of course, uh, giving them content to use as well. Um, working with Tier Swim Company um, that provides us goggles and stuff like that. So all these companies giving us a lot of exposures and stuff like that. Helping us trying to get to a media content deal, which is the biggest um, probably revenue that we're going to have coming in. So pretty much taking the game, underwater torpedo leaking, and then having spectators watch it. So turning it into like a NFL or NBA or some kind of spectator sport like that. And allowing them to know that, hey, this is where you guys are going to make a lot of money, pretty much. So that's going to come in where it is. And then going to the benefits of the program that we talked about with you guys already. Um, and like the kind of core process of how we came up with this program and the benefits um, and things like that. So for us, we really preach this acronym that we have, the operating system we use. It's called FREE. So F-R-E-E. -E. The F stands for focus, like mental focus that you need to have to focus on a task. R stands for relaxation, but we take it a step deeper, going to on-demand relaxation. Um, think about like a like a maverick, big wave surfer, and he goes under the wave. Like, hey, how do I remain as calm as possible? We use that analogy a lot because it's really similar to like, hey, I'm stressed out right now. I'm about to go speak to a thousand people in front of my company. How do I remain calm and get the things I need to cross and still perform? The uh, first E is economy of motion, pretty much how to cut drag out of your life. Uh, and minimize the unnecessary things that you don't need and focus on the things that you do. And the last one, the last E is efficient breathing um, and kind of using those breathing techniques that we had to remain calm and kind of thing. So that really tells us our story about how we can be beneficial to the world um, and then telling us, continue back and relating it to how we use it as our experience as water survival instructors, as stressful situations in the military um, and getting in combat and stuff like that. After that, we'll go a little bit into the current traction that we have, how much um, athletes we're actually training, how much revenue we're bringing in, and then kind of give that projections of the pro forma, like, hey, this is how we're performing right now this year, and this is the growth that we've had last year. So projecting forward, how much are we going to be making this year, and then when can you see an ROI? Like, hey, when can you start seeing uh, your return on investments uh, for the investors, right? Um, after that, of course, we go into our assumptions and risk, because with any new business, there's a lot of risk going into it. And then they just want to make sure that we're covering all uh, crossing our T's and dotting our I's and doing the due diligence. So for us, training underwater could be or inherently a little bit more dangerous than other training programs. So we're just giving them uh, a warm and fuzzy about how we're ensuring the environment that we're training is as safe as possible. And as well as managing their money and how well they're, we're going to manage their money that they're going to give us. Um, and then fast forwarding a little bit for the pitch today, we really want them to know, hey, how we're staying active during this COVID-19 kind of lockdown and we're not revenue producing. So I think that's huge for us moving forward, um, kind of about letting them understand like, hey, we're still being productive as possible. We don't need uh, money right now per se to continue to drive forward. So with the money, how much more can we be successful? And then the last thing that um, on the pitch deck is pretty much like going into the ask. Um, so with this company, we're raising, trying to raise $500,000 um, and then why we're using the money for, or what we're using the money for, which is the expansion, um, develop some products and then get pretty much um, like an agent to kind of manage that content distribution for us. So that, yeah, I don't know if I went in too deep, but that's pretty much the pitch that we have going into. So now I want to get into 
the entrepreneurial side. So I've taken a couple classes at Chapman that were based off of entrepreneurship. Um, I've taken one called uh, Financial Entrepreneurship. And I've taken one class with Mario Leone. You've you've heard of him, and I think you've uh, worked with him before because he runs the Incubator Center at Chapman. Now, you have a love, a passion, and a drive to achieve your goals within this business. But the education of knowing how to start a business and knowing what legal structure to choose and knowing what paperwork to fill out and knowing exactly how to get the funding and all of that, most people aren't born with that. You're born with the ambition, you're born with the love, you're born with the desire, you're born with your choices, and you're born with your preferences. But all of the other educational aspects of it, you have to learn. How has Chapman taught you these things? And is, was it more of a self-study where you had to learn things from people by asking or by using other professionals in, in the field? Or were you able to uh, learn it from the classroom? I would say it's a huge combination of both. So at Chapman, um, I did a business admin degree there uh, that I finished in December, but I wanted to keep it as open as possible. Um, I didn't want to follow any like focus, like finance focus or entrepreneurship focus, because I wanted to pick the classes that was going to directly relate to the where I was in the business at the time. So it's pretty cool because I was able to bring all like my business problems to the classroom and kind of discuss it with the professors and give like real life feedback that I could use that advice the next day. So that, that was amazing for me. So I, I am part of the Chapman Entrepreneurship Program at the Leatherby Center. Um, we did like a little Panther cage match pitch, which is like a Shark Tank kind of version at Chapman. So that was super successful uh, and helpful. And I was able to link up with a whole bunch of mentors at Chapman, um, as well as the Chapman connection, right? Like the alumni connection that they have with so many people around Orange County and other entrepreneurs to finance teams, legal teams. So that was super helpful. But, but the biggest things I learned, of course, is through mistakes, which kind of suck, but um, mistakes in the entrepreneurship like field, especially cost a lot of money and cost a lot of time uh, that you don't have a lot of. Um, but learning through this process, it was super successful. So my business partner went to the executive MBA program at USC and he did the same thing. So I was at the undergrad program at Chapman. He was at the USC program. So we were able to get so many advisors, so many mentors to kind of help us out with the process to minimize those mistakes. So we save a little bit more money and more time. So Fast forward, I'm, I'm hoping to go into USC as well in this fall in the same program, taking what we've done with the business so far and then re-engaging with the same professors about the business and seeing the progress and then continue to go on. So super excited about that. So I'm still waiting for the decision of me getting into there, but uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. But I would definitely a combination of both, brother. What has been the most difficult challenge that you've overcame? And um, if you haven't um, overcame this challenge yet, um, how do you propose doing it in the future or how are you planning or trying to solve it right now? So as you know, you know, uh, if you guys don't know, Camden's been helping me out with a little bit of my finance uh, stuff for the company as well, getting off the ground. So before we didn't have any money to really hire any finance guys and Camden's on top of his finance things for sure. Like one of the smartest dudes I know. So I was like, hey, Camden, can you help me out? But the biggest thing that he saw and that we see now and we're still working on is budgeting, right? When we got that small business loan, we were like, hey, man, we this is a lot of money. Especially, I mean, technically, it's not a lot of money, but 
for anybody starting a business, like, wow, what can I do with this money right away? And we were started chasing a lot of, a lot of dreams and a lot of ideas that we had that all took required a specific amount of money and a specific amount of time. So moving forward, Hey, how do I prioritize the things I need to do? And then how much money and time do I allocate towards that? So budgeting time and money is the biggest thing that we're still working towards, but I think we're getting better at it every single day. Um, especially understanding the risk that we have now with uh, not producing any revenue to kind of back us up. So that's the biggest thing challenge for sure. Don, you brought up a very great point about the challenges you were facing and about how you're trying to overcome them. And you're on the correct path of doing it. And the challenge that you face, most people face, it's a generic challenge that is very difficult to overcome because most people don't understand it. And it's more about a behavioralistic problem that we all face. Spending, consumption, instant gratification. Uh, fiscal responsibility is something that we aren't born uh, knowing. It's something that is taught to us, and it's taught through experience and practice and practice and practice. And uh, I really appreciate your kind words of what you said, and I'm always, always here to help you um, anytime. And I, I enjoy helping. It's a great experience for me to learn the experience, as well as I'm, a, I'm able to help a good friend. But fiscal responsibility is something that a lot of people need to understand better. And it comes from not knowing financial literacy. And that's something Matt and I are helping out with local high schools and middle schools. We're mentoring high schoolers and middle schoolers on the fundamentals of financial literacy because curriculum nowadays in K through 12 schools don't have that. And that's what we are trying to teach them. Yeah, I think that brings up a great point really. But, and, like you said, like they don't really teach that whatsoever, but there are a lot of programs out there now, especially like the biggest program I see that is really successful for um, young people growing up is like the Girl Scout cookies. You know, you see them, hey, how do you sell all these cookies, manage the money at a very young age? That's money that's not yours, you know, and give it to an organization to, to provide for um, future operations or whatever they want to do in the future. So I think that's a huge uh, successful program. Um, that are popping up uh, around the, the United States now. So that's really good. But uh, when I was growing up, there was no financial education whatsoever until uh, I got to the military, you know, and they're like, hey, you got to be responsible with your money. They teach you a little bit about that. But it's so such an important skill for everybody to have at a young age. So I think that's, that's a huge portion of uh, education that should be implemented in the future. Now, in, a, in a, analyzing uh, companies and their financials, in order to increase the bottom line, which is net income, your earnings, there's a couple of things you could do. First is you could increase revenue by getting more sales, by servicing more people. The second thing you could do is by lowering your expenses. And that is the most difficult thing to do because there's many ways you could do it. You could cut your costs in fixed costs, uh, lower your utility, lower your rent, downsize. You could cut employees, cut their wages, or furlough them, or lay them off. Or lastly, cut your overall uh, company expenses, so no longer do R&D, cut your own salary. And it's difficult to, to implement because you don't want to fire people. That's the worst thing you can do. 
Um, it's difficult to try to downsize because you, you built up this love and now you have to try to cut it in half to be able to either grow the bottom line or to be able to become more liquid or solvent. It's a huge thing entrepreneurs and business owners have to go through, but it's also very essential where this is a passion. This is your child. This is something that you've been working on for thousands of hours, for many years, developing the idea and then developing the business model and then developing the entity. And then hopefully either your exit plan will be to either sell out your, your stake in it or go public or whatever. But it's it's a huge process. And then when you have to decide whether do I have to cut this or do I have to grow this, it's difficult. And that's why you grow a team. And uh, to go into that, Don, can you tell us a little about your team? Who do you work with? Uh, who is your business partner? And how is this team uh, helping you grow and succeed? Yeah, of course. But so um, just to caveat and kind of talk about that a little bit. So during... Um, I took this financial entrepreneurship class. I can't remember the name of the professor, but he's a CFO for Abnet, which is like a um, pretty much um, the middleman before for all uh, technology equipments for computers and things like that. So like the small microchips and everything like that. Um, uh, that's what he does. But anyways, he talked about during the class, like the biggest lesson I learned was to, instead of raising more revenue to, to make more money, you reduce the working capital. So of course, like you were saying, cutting the cost as much as possible. So what I've learned from being an entrepreneur is that everything is negotiable. Everything, every deal that you make, everything is, especially as an entrepreneur is negotiable. So minimizing that cost for everything is the number one thing that you could do to actually do that. And of course, all the lessons learned now, you always want to make more money, but if you could reduce your costs, um, that's going to start you off in the right path for sure. Um, okay. So moving forward into the team that we have right now, we currently have me, myself, or myself, my business partner, Prime Hall, which we were in the military together with for a long time. Um, and, and we're always pr pursuing and trying to learn new things all the time. So the education level that we have is what it is and always trying to pursue more. So right now, like me, I'm doing a fitness um, kind of underwater or a aquatics fitness course that we're doing right now, just like to learn to teach people how to swim better. Um, and kind of understanding like the, the basic of swimming and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing. My business partner is doing an emotional intelligence course to learn how to better coach people. So the education, the, the strive for education is always there. So that always helps out when you have a team like that or always striving to be better because uh, it's not a competition, but it's competitive, competitiveness. Like, hey, how much can I learn? How much can I bring to the table all the time? So that's my business partner and me. And then we also have two other um ex-marines as well so one of the other guy his name is rick breer he was also a marine raider with us he was on prime's team for a while um and we went to um raider school together as well and then we just put on hired on another guy his name is uh, manny uh, and he owns a crossfit gym in san clemente uh, but him using his experience from running a small business a small fitness business and bringing that into what we have right now has been super beneficial for us Prime's wife is also helping us. Uh, she runs a salon in Carlsbad. Uh, that's unfortunately um, closing down because of the COVID thing. Um, but yeah, so getting a team that is motivated, uh, understands the process and understands the common goal, uh, but allowing your your team to have their freedom to, to work the way they want and kind of contribute to the team. So using people for their strengths 
uh, and not their weaknesses is always the best way. So if someone doesn't want to do something, um, most of the time you have to make them do it. But if you can find something that they really like to do and find someone to bring onto the team, that it's something that they really love to do. Uh, I think that's a huge benefit for any team that you can have out there, whether it's for um, sports or for business. And that's why I have Matthew. He's uh, he's my partner and he's my friend and he's my team member. And he definitely helps me go through the uh, whole process of uh, developing business ideas and developing the operations of a business. But that's a great transition into uh, Matthew leading the coronavirus questions to Don. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Camden. Um, so you've mentioned it kind of as we've been talking, but to really address it, how has the pandemic and the subsequent shutdown affected your businesses, Don? So since our uh, business is pretty much um, right now, it's catered around the registrations that we get for people to pay to come and train and work out with us. So all the pools have been closed uh, since the beginning of March. So it's been we've been taking a huge hit um, on all the revenue streams that we're bringing in. So um, we're still waiting for some of the pools to open back up. Um, and we're getting some rumors that say, hey, like, hey, how can you? And they're at, the pools are asking us right now, like, hey, what's your guys' best plan that you guys can do to implement safety for the COVID, safety for your guys' training sessions, and still running your training sessions and see if that's possible. So we're in the process of doing that right now. Um, but besides that, hey, we also pushed up our efforts in uh, producing some online programs that you guys can check out on our websites uh, for workout programs that people could do at home that they don't even need a pool, like body weight stuff, since a lot of people are limited to the type of equipment they have at home. Um, and then releasing um, our kind of mindset workbook. It's called Free Your Mind, uh, pretty much running through the process of kind of um, prioritizing your goals, minimizing drag, and using that free principle that we talked about earlier to maximize your life, not just in the fitness world, but uh, in your everyday life, um, as well as doing some coaching, elite coaching with some business executives, um, some professional athletes, and, and moving forward. So that's how we're kind of catering and adapting to that type of situation um, and kind of using this downtime as uh, a way to find a different revenues and changing your pretty much your ideas. So when you're starting a new company, you have kind of a, a, a set idea and set goal in place, but you always have to be adaptable and flexible to your environment, um, just like anything else. So that's how we're kind of staying productive and active during this time. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you guys have been able to adapt to the situation. So that's, that's great. Could you uh, talk a little bit more about your plan for reopening um, or your plan for kind of safely working out in the pools. I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So, um, right now all the, well, in the water, the chlorine kills the virus. So we know that for sure. So it's about how we still keep people separated as much as possible. Um, with that six feet minimum that California kind of requires at this time. So, um, one thought that we thought about is, Hey, renting more lanes. So currently we rent, uh, three to four lanes on the deep end of the pool, depending on how big the class size is. Um, that we go into it. So, hey, can we leave those line, those lane separators in there to, to keep people in their own lane while they're doing that type of training? So that's something we've explored um, to having different times or minimizing the class um, a little bit smaller, but still producing a little bit of revenue um, and still running these classes, but having that separation that we need. So that's another way that we can kind of go about it. Um, but we don't really know what the effect is right now or when the polls are going to open back up, but we're hoping for uh, May 15th is 
some pools in Orange County, and then LA is looking like June first right now, so a month from today. So say that you open May fifteenth or June first. Do you have interested uh, previous clients or new clients that are ready to jump back into the uh, pools and start working out with you? Uh, yes, we do. So when we kind of thought about the process like this, right? So kind of worrying about us about it a, l- a little bit, but there's going to be either two ways, right? So one is going to be, hey, everybody wants to get back outside. Everybody wants to get back in the water or they want to be active as much as possible. And we anticipate probably like around 70% of the people of our old clients are going to want to do that. The other 30% were like, hey, these people are like, hey, I've kind of come, become accustomed to working out of home, kind of staying in and doing my own thing. And I think that we anticipate like around 30% of our old clients doing that. So uh, we're trying to keep people as active as possible. So still running like Zoom calls uh, once a week with all of our coaches and all our instructors that we train with and having them like continue to talk to all our clients and all the athletes that we train with still. Um, and releasing like staying people active with social media on Instagram, having people submit videos to us that we can post, repost for them uh, on what they're doing at home to stay active and stay healthy. So trying to keep that community as tight as possible and let them know that we're still there, of course, and releasing some uh, newsletters as well, kind of keeping people updated, releasing some blogs for people to read. Um, but yeah, that's what we're doing. Awesome. And then our last question is, what advice would you offer someone looking to start their own business? Uh, the best thing is come up with a great plan. And like my previous mistakes and stuff like that is come up with a great budget plan from the beginning and have clear um lines and rules that you set if you have a business partner then hey like this is how much we're budgeting this month hey have them sign some paperwork and kind of get that initial um unwanted talks out in the beginning as soon as you have like the best rules uh kind of established in place and everybody is on the same page you can kind of move forward um to a lot of growth but before that there's going to be a lot of you know back and forth about hey what's right what's wrong how much can i use here how much can i spend there so that's the biggest thing that we learned, um, having those clear, definitive lines, um, like defining the relationship and what is expected out of each person uh, from the get-go. I think that that's great. I think that our listeners have been able to get a lot of great uh, information from you and advice. Thank you for everything you've brought um, in this discussion and the things you've outlined for your business. I think there's a lot of valuable information here, Don. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And it was great talking to you guys and, and learning about it. And I really follow you guys' newsletter every week. And that's like the financial information I get every week. Because there's just so much different information coming on like the different news channels all the time about um, it's, it's just too much a to process. So reading your guys' newsletter every week is, is awesome. Thank you. We are really happy to hear that. We do our best to kind of take in all the information that uh, Camden and I get throughout the week and kind of compile it, especially Camden does a great job uh, sum- summarizing the market in just a few bullet points. So we, that's exactly what we're going for. So thank you for that. Um, Camden, do you want to switch us over to the term of the week? Yes. And thank you, John, for that. It's something that uh, I pride myself in, but during this time, it's very, very difficult to try to understand what's happening in the economy and in the stock market because there's this huge gap and disconnect between the two. And from all the data and information I've been learning from my intermediate micro, intermediate macro, and international economics, international finance, and international business courses I've taken at Chapman, 
you can't you can't learn this in the classroom. You have to uh, wake up in the morning, uh, read the news, follow the stock market, trade, win, lose, win, lose, and it's something that I'm looking forward to in the future. But right now, it's very hectic. So for all our listeners out there, if you are, are trading in this market, be very cautious and be very open minded to uh, taking on heavy losses. But also, it's a great opportunity to to learn about trading and to learn about volatility and to learn about the ups and downs in the business cycle. So term of the week this week is earnings estimate. In the beginning of this podcast, I spoke about the tech earnings we had last week. Earnings estimate is an analyst estimate for a company's future quarterly or annual earnings per share. That's great. That's that's very timely, I think, now because we just went over some quarterly estimates. Um, so I think that was really... A good topic, uh, Camden. Are there any any earnings estimates that came up recently that you think were important or worthwhile to mention? Two, two earnings reports that um, I want to highlight. The first is this past Sunday, Warren Buffett had his annual Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting, and this touched up on his views of what's happening during this environment, and then also performance of his renowned company, Berkshire Hathaway. And they reported a heavy loss and they totally divested away from airlines. So this uh, had a huge effect on airlines, this market opening today on uh, May 4th, 2020. So he's divesting away from airlines. And I thought that was very interesting because I don't see myself ever not flying in the future. I feel like it's it's vital to be able to get on an airplane and travel um, internationally, domestically, within your own state. It's vital. And even though the profit margins of airlines will be decreasing because of demand is going down, oil prices are, are having a huge effect on them and just the overall fear people have in flying now and, and this fear might last another year or two. Airlines will always be around. They might uh, innovate into something new, maybe uh, a, a hovering aircraft or a spaceship or whatever, but airlines will always be around. So I thought that was very interesting that he totally divested away from airlines. He sold out of all of his positions uh, from United Airlines, Delta Airlines, and American Airlines. Um, and then Amazon, e-commerce is huge now because it's very convenient to just shop online and order the essentials or the non-essentials to your house. Um, and they reported uh, an increase in sales and revenue, but their earnings uh, did not meet the earnings estimate that analysts put out. Great. I think those are two big takeaways and definitely something significant, uh, especially for Warren Buffett, because he has been in the airlines for a while. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's no doubt airlines are necessary. We need to get around. And even after things clear up, um, we will definitely see airlines pick back up. But I think at his heart, Warren Buffett's a value investor and he just doesn't see that value there. See the, uh, the growth and the profit that he needs to see in the airlines anymore. Thank you all for listening to our What's Up Finance podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. We love your feedback and to hear what's up in your lives. Please check out Don's businesses and feel free to shoot us an email to the address in the podcast notes below. Also in the podcast notes below, you'll see the links to Don's 
Instagram pages for both of his companies, Underwater Torpedo League and Deep End Fitness. Thank you, Don, for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Don. We really appreciate it. This was a great podcast. Thank you for taking the time. All right, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, stay active.